Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And we're going to read down to verse 18, the well-known account of the parable of the sower and the parable of the lamp under the jar. And we are looking this morning at Luke 8, 4 through 18. If you're using a copy of the Church Bible, you'll find this on page 865. And as usual, I know you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me this morning. Before we do, let me pray for us just briefly for the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, again, we do ask that you would please pour out your richest blessings this morning. We pray that you would accomplish your purposes. We ask that you would be glorified and that we would be satisfied. We pray that you would cause the seed of your word to fall on good soil, that you would give each of us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand that we may turn and believe and repent and be healed. We pray, our God, that you would make us to see and hear your son this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would accomplish your purposes and that you would give us a greater measure of your spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Luke 8, beginning in verse 4. And Luke has been tracing the ministry of Jesus and most recently has looked at that faithful band of disciples that has gathered around him, those 12 disciples who will go on to become apostles and the women who were following with and supporting him in his ministry. And now Luke writes for us, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from every town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The one along the paths are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they have heard the word, receive it with joy. But these, having no root, believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares And riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter it may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, we are a culture that is obsessed with stories. The entirety of Hollywood is built on the, entire, on the notion of stories and stories that you can enter into. 
Um, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was a teenager, I would go to a movie and I would foolishly try to envision myself as a character in whatever movie I was watching. I was never the nerd who was being bullied, incidentally. I was, I was always envisioning myself as the heartthrob or the hero. We never liked to see what we actually were, probably. Um, and thankfully, that was a stage, an awkward stage that I grew out of, and I, I no longer do that. But that was a stage in my life where I would enter into whatever story was being portrayed and think, what would I do if I was in that situation? Which character would I be? How would I respond to this? Um, there is something unhelpful about that. Jacques Ellul, the famous French Christian sociologist, said people go to the movies to escape and consequently yield to its pleasures. They find forgetfulness, and in forgetfulness, the honeyed freedom they do not find in their work at home. They live on the screen a life they will never live in fact. I think Alul puts his finger on the wound of the problem. So many are engaged in the stories that are on the screen because they want to live a life that they will never in fact live. Now, I tell you that because it is a well-known fact that Jesus, in much of his teaching, gave stories. Um, much of his teaching was wrapped in these mysterious stories that we call parables. Uh, there are a lot of mistaken notions about the parables. Some people have foolishly and mistakenly said, well, Jesus spoke in parables so that people could understand what he was trying to say as if we tell a, a, a story to one of our children. That's not why Jesus spoke in parables. In fact, Jesus himself will here tell us in this passage, why he spoke in parables. He spoke in parables so that we would come into what he is saying, but that to some, he was revealing mysteries about the kingdom of God and the gospel and himself. And from others, he was hiding those truths so that they would not see, could not see, and would not be saved. Now, that's a, that's a much different understanding than a lot of people have painted about the parables. This is the most famous of the parables, the parable of the sower. Uh, Matthew, in chapter 13, leads that series of parables with this parable. It is the only parable that Jesus tells in which he gives us the parable, the meaning of the parable, and the exhortation or the application that flows from it. He is instructing us as what we are to do when we read the other stories that he gives, the other parables that he gives. Um, you'll notice there in verses 4 through 8, he gives that well-known account of the a man who goes out into the field and he scatters seed everywhere and some of it falls by the wayside and some falls on the rocky ground and some falls among the thorns and then other falls in good soil. And there are different outcomes. And the disciples come to him in verse 9 and they ask him, what does this mean? Help us to understand what you're saying. And so he gives them then the interpretation of the parable just as an aside uh, this is a very important passage of scripture because it teaches us that that's how we are to approach the word of God. Too many today go to churches that tickle their ears with emotional feel-good stories and don't give them the meaning and application of scripture. Jesus is teaching us very clearly that his word needs to be interpreted and it needs to be interpreted properly and then it needs to be applied to the lives of those that have come to understand the true meaning of it. Jesus is giving us that paradigm for preaching and for all true biblical and Christian teaching. Well, uh, we're going to see this morning three things as we look at 
the parable of the sower and the parable of the lamp under the jar. First, we're going to see that a right hearing of the word is necessary for salvation. And secondly, we're going to see that a right handling of the word is necessary for spiritual vitality. A right hearing of the word is necessary for salvation. A right handling of the word is necessary for spiritual vitality. Well, notice as Jesus is giving this parable, and he is giving it in the context of multitudes that have begun to come to him. We've said over the last several weeks that Jesus' popularity has risen. As he has healed, as he has gone through regions preaching the gospel, his popularity has risen, and opposition has started to come. And yet, at this point, the opposition that he's getting from the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and other religious and political leaders in Israel is small in comparison with the popularity and the acceptance that he seems to be getting from the masses who are gathering to hear his teaching. And so in that context, Jesus takes opportunity. He sees the people coming. Multitudes are pressing in. He has his disciples, his apostolic band. He has the women who are following with him. And notice that Luke tells us when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, now one of the important things for us to realize before we look at this parable is that Jesus is not giving this to people who have never heard the word of God. He is not speaking to people who have never heard the word He is speaking to people who are under the ministry of the word. Everything that he is going to say here is only for people who have heard the word of God at some point in their life. Here's a crowd coming. They are gathering and Jesus realizes now is the appropriate time to teach the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and to teach the mysteries of those who will receive his word with diligent and fruitful hearing and those who will go away and will not yield any fruit. Now, John Calvin, when he reflects on this first parable, he says the design of the parable was to inform the disciples that the seed of doctrine, which is scattered far and wide, is not everywhere productive. That means it is quite possible for you to hear solid teaching and preaching and not to bear any fruit, or me for that matter. Um, That is the main thrust of the parable of the soils. Calvin goes on to say, because the seed of doctrine does not always find a fertile and well-cultivated soil. It does not always fall on a heart that is prepared to receive it. In fact, we're going to see that there are four soils, and three of the four receive the word or don't receive the word and don't bear any fruit. Now, I don't think Jesus is giving us a uh, statistical numerical value here, but it's not a good numerical value if we took it. Three of four hear the word and do not bear any fruit and are not saved. And that means that it's a sobering story and one that we should put ourselves into and say, where am I in this? Who am I in this? And am I receiving, hearing, understanding, and bearing fruit from the ministry of the word of God? That is the overarching point. Now, there's so much in these parables, so much in this first one that we don't have time to go over. But notice that no sooner has Jesus given this parable in the four soils and the four different results of those soils that uh, he is giving very clear categories of different kind of hearers. Everybody in this room is one of four kinds of hearers. doesn't matter who you are. 
You are one of four kind of hearers this morning. First, Jesus is teaching that there are those who will hear the word of God with an unresponsive heart. So that's the first kind of hearer. There are those, it's possible, to hear God's word and have an unresponsive heart. Um, it may be because your heart is hard, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It may be because um, your heart is calloused, having heard the gospel so often. Um, whatever the reason, there is the unresponsive heart. Secondly, Jesus is going to teach that there is the superficial heart. The second category of those that hear God's word are those that hear it superficially. It is possible to hear God's word superficially and yet not to get salvation. Um, These are the ones Jesus will tell us who hear the word and receive it with joy. There seems to be a reception. It's superficial when persecution comes, when trials come, when when challenges come and hardships come on, on the behalf of the word, they fall away. So that's the second category. The third category Jesus is saying that there are those with divided hearts. There's the unresponsive heart. There is the superficial heart. And then there's the divided heart. Uh, It is altogether possible for people to hear the word of God with a heart that says, yes, I want to hear that. I need to hear that. But I'm not willing to give place in my heart for the word in totality. There are these things that I want to keep in there. And yes, I want Christ, but I want this and this and this. Jesus will say the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. And they will choke out the word because it's a divided heart. Those are the first three of the soils. And then Jesus will say that there is the soil in which it is possible for someone to hear the word of God with a good and fertile heart. Now, This is supposed to be a sobering parable. Um, There are those in the Christian church who say, we need to be positive. Let's be more positive. Let's not harp on the negative. Let's just talk about positive things. And, And you know what? I think sometimes when people say that, they are actually responding properly to people that just want to go around and criticize and complain and focus on negative things and what's wrong with everything and think faithfulness is finding fault with everything. And, and there's a sense where some people who say, we need to be more positive in our presentation of the truth of God's word. We need to be more for what we're for than against what we're against. And yet it is absolutely impossible for us to read anything that Jesus has said in the Gospels and not to see that before he gets to the good news, before he gets to where we want to be, before he gets to what is the place where we want to find ourselves and how we're to get there, He always first gives us the negative. He always gives the negative. Here's the reality. Three of the four groups of people that will sit under the ministry of the word will not hear it productively and will go to hell forever. We are one of those four soils. Every one of us. It is absolutely impossible not to find yourself in this parable. You know, I told you the story how when I was young, I would foolishly try to view myself in the movie as, as the hero or the good-looking dude that got the, the girl. Um, it'd be nice if I could hit rewind and see what it was actually like in real life. It's a mess. 
wouldn't want to see what I really was like. We don't want to see what we're really like, do we? We don't want to see what we're like. Um, this is why James says that the natural man or woman are those that go to the mirror and they see, they see themselves and then they walk away and they forget. And there's a sense where they, they want to willingly forget. They don't want to see what they're like in the mirror of God's word. Um, just like many of us don't want to see what we look like in mirrors in real life. Um, Jesus is giving this very, very searching and sobering parable, and he's doing it for several reasons. Notice that he says at the very end of the giving of the parable in verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is calling us to respond by saying, I want to understand. I want to hear. He is Uh, on one hand saying, I am saying this so that you will understand, so that you will listen to me, the God-man, the one who made all things, the one who is the word made flesh, the one who is the very revelation of God, the one who is God among us, Emmanuel. And he comes and he brings all the mysteries of the kingdom. And in giving this, the first purpose is to say, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Um. But then, notice when the disciples come and they ask him, they say to him, what does this parable mean? He says to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets and the mystery of the kingdom. But to the rest it's given in parables so that seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Uh, Matthew Henry used the illustration of the dark lantern to explain the parables. Listen to this. Henry says, Christ put the light of the gospel into the dark lantern of a parable, which had a bright side toward those who applied it to themselves and were willing to be guided by it, but to those who were only willing for a season to play with it, it only gave a flash of light now and then, but sent them away into the dark. That's what Jesus is saying. The parables are a dark lantern. Now, Calvin will wrestle with this, and he'll say, okay, uh, a lot of people are going to say, I don't like that. If you're saying you don't like that, Right now, you're probably the first soil or the second soil. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. Um, but, but Calvin's going to say a lot of people don't like that because they're going to say, well, why would God do that? Why would God, you know, why would he hide the truth from some people? That doesn't seem fair. And Calvin's going to say, you know, the best way to understand this is if you had someone who had bad eyesight and they, they had to squint just to make it through their day because of their, their eyesight problem, and they went outside into the full light of the sun, they would shut their eyes so they didn't see the full light. And Calvin says the problem with those who, who, from whom the truth is being hidden by the parables, the problem with those that seeing will not see and hearing will not hear is that they're just like that person. The problem's not with the sun, it's not with the light, it's not with the truth, it's not with Christ, that's not the problem. The problem's with their depraved heart. That's the problem. They, they will willfully shut the eyes of their hearts when they hear these things. Now, notice that Jesus discriminates between those to whom it has been given and to those who seeing will not see and hearing will not hear. Um. The Lord will flesh out what's going on. He'll give kind of a psychology of hearing the word in this parable. Um, He'll tell you that whenever the word is preached, there are numbers of things going on that affect how we hear it. 
So in the first group, notice when he comes to actually give the interpretation of it, he says in verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Very straightforward. Every time God's word is read, preached, proclaimed, heralded, embroidered on the wall, every time you see God's word, it is like seed. It is the seed of Jesus Christ going out onto the field of the world. He is the sower. The seed is the word. And it's going out everywhere. And Jesus says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who, when they have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. Now, very interesting what Jesus does here. He's going to tell us in those first three soils, the unresponsive heart, the shallow heart, and the divided heart, that there are three enemies at work against the reception of the word. Here in the first group, he says the devil comes. We don't know what all that means, but we know that there is a sense in which Satan is the prince of the power of the air and through a myriad of uh, falsehoods and lies and philosophies and religions and everything else that he does and sin and everything else, he keeps men and women under his sway. The Bible says that. Um, The chief thing we should be afraid about when we think about a devil is not demon possession but the, the subtle, pervasive influences that keep men in the darkness of idolatry and blinded from seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing we should be afraid about, that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one and that we are subject to that by nature. And so the unresponsive one is one uh, in whose heart the word will not go very deeply. I, I think I've told you this story before. Uh, William Wilberforce, the great uh, philanthropist and abolitionist from England in the uh, 19th century, he was a parliamentarian. He was also a member in John Newton's congregation, the, the former slave trader who was converted and wrote the Alney hymns and Amazing Grace and all the great hymns that we sing by Newton. And Wilberforce was in his church, and Wilberforce was a very devout Christian. He was the fourth soil. He had received the word. His life had been transformed by the gospel. He was an exceedingly fruitful Christian. He lived out his Christian life under the Lord, and he longed for others to know the Lord Jesus. He had sat for a time under the ministry of a famous uh, evangelical preacher named Richard Cecil, and he had been pretty impressed with the work that God was doing through the ministry of Cecil. And he had a friend in Parliament named William Pitt the Younger. William Pitt the Younger is one of the famous and devout. Um, we should really reclaim that, by the way. We should, we should reclaim the, the suffix, the younger, the elder. Um, and and uh, pretty, devout, uh, pretty uh, reputable and powerful politician in his day and really admired Wilberforce, really uh, looked up to him. And so Wilberforce said to him on one occasion, I really want you to hear this minister. Please come and hear him with me. Uh, William Pitt the Younger goes with Wilberforce, as the story says. He sits through the sermon. Wilberforce recounts that Cecil's sermon was exceedingly powerful. And he was anxious the whole time to know what his friend, William Pitt the Younger, thought about it. And as soon as the service was over, he said to him, what did you think about that sermon? And William Pitt the Younger said, I have absolutely no idea what that man said. You see, he was the unresponsive heart. He was the first soil. He was the hard-hearted hearer. He didn't understand, and immediately the seed was snatched away. 
Now, Jesus is going to tell us that there are three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil is the first enemy. Notice that in the second group, he says that the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Now, I think it's, it's altogether possible in our day that if we had just a little bit of persecution, true churches would be emptied of people. I think one of the reasons we may not like this parable and we don't see it as clearly as we should is because we live in a culture where there's almost no persecution. Um, You know, the apostles were far more concerned about heresy and ungodly living in the church than they were about martyrdom. But here Jesus says there is a group of people who will sit for a time under the ministry of the word. They will hear it energetically, joyfully. There's an immediacy to it. They, they receive it immediately. They seem to be truly converted. They seem to be, I've seen this person many times in my, my Christian experience. They, there's no doubt. Others say this person's been converted. There's no doubt. Look how excited they are. They're, they're excited about the excitement of Christianity. They're excited about the feeling of Christianity. They're excited about the news that there is a savior and that he came into this world to save sinners. And there's, there's an immediate reception. And yet, as soon as persecution comes, notice Jesus loves that idea of immediacy with this group. Immediately when there's persecution, they fall away because there's no root. They weren't truly converted. They didn't have saving faith. They had what... Um, Jonathan Edwards might call um, a counterfeit spiritual experience under the ministry of the word. Um, The world. The devil snatches the word. The world threatens. um, It threatens men and women from truly coming to the Lord Jesus. Um, And then the flesh. Notice the third group. The Divided heart. Notice this. Jesus says in verse 14, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature now. I often think that and and fear that this is the most sobering of the categories. This group is the group of those who hear the word of God who seem to go the furthest in a profession of faith. Um, There's some sort of depth for the seed of the word to take root, and it looks like it's beginning to grow, but Jesus says no sooner does it begin to grow that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things choke the word. It is unbelievably sobering to think that men and women will hear the gospel and they will forfeit their souls for eternity because of the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. And I find that most sobering in my own life. Um, It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. There's never a time when you should come to this parable and say, well, that's not me. That could never be me. Um, Jesus is calling us to hear, to examine, to search, to say, where am I in this? Um... Anna and I often talk at home about how, and I think the better part of our life is is saying this, 
we feel like we're just sometimes just busying ourselves in vain. Two ships passing in the night. We probably say I'm exhausted six times a week. Maybe that's common to you. You know, the Bible says don't overwork to be rich because money just makes itself wings and flies away. Everything you're overworking for is just, you're trying to grasp it. (laughs) Don't overwork to be rich. Um, The cares of the world could be anything. That could be loved ones. That could be events. That could be travel. That could be anything. Whatever we want that takes us away from nurturing the word of God in our own hearts and staying in the word and meditating on it and abiding in it and keeping it and believing it and putting it in practice in our lives, whatever that is, Jesus says that can choke the word away. And um, the flesh, it's really just the flesh. Our fleshly desires are always working against receiving the word of God. And then notice the good soil. Now, obviously, I would want all of us to leave this place saying, I want to be the good soil. I believe that I am the good soil. I trust that I'm the good soil. Um, What makes the difference? Well, Jesus doesn't say the good soil are those who try really, really hard and uh, are super committed to all kinds of religious activity. Jesus doesn't say the good soil are those who give so much time or money. He doesn't say that the good soil is anything that you do. In fact, the good soil can only become good by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. That the only thing that makes the difference between the fourth set of hearers and everybody else is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, giving someone a new heart, tilling up the soil of their hearts and enabling them to receive the word of God. Um, Notice that Jesus will say there about the fourth soil, as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Okay, the Bible everywhere says by nature, none of us have good hearts. By nature, no one has a good heart. No one. Shame on us for saying, oh, he has a really good heart. I know what we mean sentimentally. I get it. The Bible everywhere says there are none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, none. And so there's a conundrum. Jesus is saying there's a group here and they will hear with an honest and a good heart and they will receive the word and they will understand it and they will keep it and they will bear fruit. Now, I think what we're meant to do as we hear this parable and we consider what Jesus is teaching in it, I think that we are meant the second that we feel like we may be the first soil or the second soil or the third soil. If we look at our lives and we honestly say, you know, I don't really think about God's word often. I I never really meditate on it. I don't really love it. Let's just be honest. If you don't love God's word, be honest and go to him and say, I don't love your word. Give me understanding. Give me a new heart. Make me love your word. And if you look at your life and you say, you know, um, I, I seem to have joy a time ago when I heard God's word, but you know what? I don't really want any of the pressures and the persecution and opposition Go to the Lord and confess your sin and say, Lord, give me a good heart. And, and if you look at your life and you say, you know, I really feel like the word is constantly being choked out by the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. You go to the Lord and you say, Lord, don't let your word be choked out. 
You go to him and you say, I fear that your word is being choked out of my heart so that I'm not being fruitful. Make me fruitful. Till up the soil of my heart. Give me your spirit to do the work of giving me a noble and a good heart. Um, That's the mystery of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. That's the mystery. We don't just sit around and wait for it to happen. Hyper-Calvinists would say, well, God's got to regenerate someone, so you got to just, if he doesn't do it, it won't happen. And man-centered Christianity says, it's all up to you. You got to do it. You got to work harder. You got to be in the word more. You got to do this. You got to do that. And biblical Christianity says, when I recognize where I am, I go to the Lord. And when he's responded to me, I realize that that's because he worked in me and I only went to him because he was working in me. Now, the first parable here is Jesus telling us that there needs to be a right hearing for the word unto salvation. Um, Notice, I really want to point this out this morning. Jesus is not saying, take heed what you hear. He's saying, take heed how you hear. Eric Alexander has this great thought um, about that observation. He says, many of us are skilled at taking heed to what we hear. We have a nose for heterodoxy and heresy. We're able to discern what is true and untrue. We can tell when somebody is preaching the truth and when they're not. We're skilled at this, many of us taking heed what we hear, and we are careful to place ourselves under a biblical ministry. We may even be quick to criticize a ministry that's not biblically sound and doctrinally orthodox. But many of us who have that facility are slow to take heed how we hear. I want you to listen very carefully this morning. He is not saying, take heed that you're listening to sound doctrine. That's assumed. He's saying, take heed what you're doing with the sound doctrine that you're hearing proclaimed. Are you appropriating it into your life? Are you listening to it with spiritual ears? Are you hungering for it? Are you saying, yes, I love God's word. I want more of God's word. I'm in a bad place. I need God's word. Are you taking heed to what you're hearing as well as now Jesus says most clearly to how you're hearing what you're hearing? Um, By the way, I'm going to tell you this this morning. If this is convicting to you, think about what it's like for a man who's called to preach the word of God every week. And I have to realize that just because I get in the pulpit, just because a man gets into the pulpit and preaches God's word faithfully every week doesn't mean that he's actually hearing it the way he's supposed to be hearing it and bearing fruit in his life. So if, if, you're, if you're like, well, that didn't make me feel good this morning, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> and it's not supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to get you to heaven so you don't perish eternally. It's not supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to lead you to the Savior. It's very interesting, isn't it? When Jesus wants to give illustrations of his death and what he's going to accomplish, remember, he's going to the cross here, he's moving to Calvary, he's going to take the sins of his people on himself, and when when he wants to use an illustration about his death and the benefits of redemption, you know what he says in John 12? He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it does not bear fruit. But if it dies, it does not remain alone. He's speaking about his death and resurrection. He is the seed that goes into the earth. He is the one that takes the unrighteousness, the unwillingness of us to hear. He is the one that takes 
all of the shallowness, all of the dividedness, all of our undesiring of him, he takes all the sin on himself and the seed of God falls into the ground and then it rises on the third day. And the reason that fruit can be born in the life of anyone that hears is because the seed of his flesh goes into the ground and because he comes out of the tomb and he goes to the right hand of the Father and he ever lives to make intercession for his people, he is praying for the fruitfulness of those who will hear the word and keep it and receive it. Remember, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. As a branch cannot bear fruit, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, I have chosen you that you may go and bear fruit. You see, the mystery of fruitfulness is the mystery of the gospel, is the mystery of what Christ has done, is the mystery of what Christ is doing, is the mystery of learning that your whole life has to be bound up with your union with Christ. Now, very, very quickly, Jesus attaches to that parable a second parable. By the way, this is the fourth parable in Luke's gospel. He's already given us um, the parable of the two debtors in the account of the sinful woman in Simon's house. And he gave us, um, he gave us the parable of uh, the children in the marketplace. So th- this is now the fourth parable. And yet Jesus is attaching this short one to the parable of the sower to teach us that a right handling of the word is necessary for spiritual vitality. It's not enough that I hear the word properly, but I need to now handle the word properly. Notice he uses the illustration of lighting a lamp. Nobody lights a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but they put it on a stand. So if you're in a house and you have lamps around you and you're in darkness, you don't sit there in darkness. You turn the light on. Jesus is saying his word is the light. And God's people handle his word so that there will be light in their life. David says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need the light of God's word to order my steps to glory. Now, notice Jesus does something very interesting. He says, nothing's hidden that will not be made manifest. Nothing is secret that will not be known and come to light. Take heed then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Um, These are some of the most difficult things Jesus has said. Commentators, theologians are divided over what does it actually mean. Minimally, what we can say is Jesus is teaching that how we handle his word is essential to our spiritual fruitfulness. That's the first thing he's saying. Now, That begs the question, uh, what does it look like to handle God's word properly? Phil Riken says, we need to make good use of the truths that we know from scripture. We make use of the law by confessing our sins. We make use of the gospel by trusting in Jesus. We make use of the doctrine of election by living with humility, remembering that there's nothing in us to deserve God's grace. We make use of the doctrine of justification by living free from any attempt to improve our standing with God, resting instead on the finished work of Christ. 
We make use of the doctrine of sanctification by growing in practical holiness, learning to live with the charity, purity, and generosity that Jesus showed us by his example. We make use of the doctrine of perseverance by remaining steadfast under trial. We make use of the doctrine of glorification by waiting and hoping and waiting in hope until Christ return. What Riken is saying is we take every part of God's word and we learn to appropriate it into our lives and we learn to properly handle it. Whatever portion of God's word it is, whatever doctrine it is, it has a bearing on my life and it is incumbent on me to go and make use of that in an appropriate way. That's what it means not to hide the light under a basket. Now, the last thing Jesus is going to say is, um, and I'm going to quote Phil Reichen here, use it or lose it. That's what he's going to say. The very last thing he says here is use it or lose it. Um, If we don't make use of God's word and all the privileges we have under it, all the teaching, if we are like those first three soils, whatever we think we have is going to be taken away from us. Um, There is a day coming, hastening, when we are all going to give an account of everything that we've done with God's word. Um, Whether I have made good use of God's word or not, is going to be made evident to me and everyone before the Lord on Judgment Day. Um, No one escapes that. No one. And Jesus is saying there are those that think that they have, but they don't because they're not handling his word with faith and love. They're not repenting of their sins. They're not trusting in Jesus. They're not living in light of his word and whatever they think they have is going to be taken from them. And then there are others, he says, who have, they do love his word, they do love Christ, they do love the truths of his word, they are living out of them. And he says more is going to be given, more insight, more depth, more revelation, more knowledge, more light. Until that day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. I want to leave us this morning with just two thoughts. First, I want to ask you, when you hear these stories, I want you to do for a moment what I used to do as a teenager. I want you to to put yourself in these two stories. And I want you to be able to say, where am I in that story? Not where would I like to imagine myself to be, but which of those characters am I? Which of those soils, which of those hearers am I? And which of those handling God's word am I? How am I hearing God's word? How am I handling God's word? Um, That's the most important question you could ask this morning. But I also want to say, when we come to this parable, when I come to these parables, and we are leveled spiritually by them, Because I don't think there's one of us in this room that could ever read these parables and say, I'm good. Um, But we see sometimes unresponsiveness, sometimes shallowness, oftentimes dividedness in our hearts. Are you going to the Lord? Are you crying out to him to make you fruitful? Um, That's the only thing that matters. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the righteous man walk in his steps. Jesus says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. He says, whoever believes on me, I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever believes has already passed from death to life and will not enter into judgment. I will in no wise cast him out. And Jesus says, I have appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. It's my hope that if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you're one of the first three soils, that you would come to know him savingly. Um, Life is so short. So very short. Um, Don't play games with your soul. Don't play games with God's word. Don't let the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things choke the word. Uh, Go to the Lord Jesus who makes us fruitful and trust in him. If you find yourself uh, backslidden and you find yourself thinking, you know, there was a time when I was uh, more spiritually vital in my life than I am now, you go right back to the word. You know, I often find it as, I'll leave you with this thought, I often find it an interesting thing as a minister when people come to me and they tell me that they're not doing good spiritually and I say, are you in the scripture? And they say, no. And I think, my, my, why don't we think we're doing good? (laughs) It is the simplest thing in the world. If I am not doing good spiritually and I am not in the word of God regularly, there is a correlation between them. We are to abide in Jesus' word. He said, you are my disciples indeed if you abide in my word. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that when we look at such a searching portion of your word, that we are often left uncomfortable, and we know that that is good, And we know that you work through our own distrusting of ourselves and our own acknowledgement of our failures. We thank you for the conviction of your spirit. We pray that you would lead every man and woman and boy and girl in this place to the Lord Jesus. We pray, our God, that you would make every heart in this room to be good soil that bears fruit for eternity. We pray that you would not let us be men and women that play with your word or who walk away and forget your word, or who allow your word to be choked out. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us grace to hear savingly and to take heed and handle your word for spiritual life. We pray these things in your name. Amen.